I want to pray right now as we just begin and open up the word together. I want to ask you if you would just pray this. There was a situation in the Bible where a man was facing a great need in his life and he came to Jesus and he was asking the Lord to help him. And the Lord said that if you can believe, all things are possible to those that believe. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And there's a conflict that I think most of us face in life. We, we know God can do anything. <clears throat> but sometimes when we look back on our life and we were believing God for things in our life that didn't go the way we wanted, it discourages our faith. And God never does anything to discourage our faith. Everything he's doing is to increase our faith and to strengthen our faith in him. And, and to be honest, I, I would probably say that a lot of our faith at sometimes is presumption rather than faith. Um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And there's a lot of times we go to God and tell him what we want. Um, but I just feel strongly, and, and um, Tanya had felt this from the Lord that I wanted to share on her behalf, that there's somebody here that just needs to pray that. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And if that's you, I just want to extend this opportunity. We're all going to pray. If that's you, just pray that for yourself right now, that your faith may seem under attack. You do believe God. You believe God can do anything. You just don't have a, a, a strong faith right now that he's going to do some of these things for you. But he will. He will help your unbelief. Praise God that he'll do that, right? So let's pray. Please, let's pray. Just all over this room. <clears throat> pray for those that are around you. You have no idea what they might be going through, the situations that they might be in. We want to pray for Jonathan and Gabriella and their baby. We want to pray for those that are needing work and looking for jobs that are in some financial needs in their life. So, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that we can come to you, God, with every need, that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. We're very desperate for you, Lord. We need you, and we love you, God, and we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to pray, and that through you, through your name, through your blood, we can come right to the Father in heaven, and we can talk to you. We don't have to fear being rejected or thrown out. When we lack wisdom, we can ask you for it, and you will give that to us. We need faith. We need you to speak to us, Lord. And Lord, I pray for us that you will help our unbelief. We do believe you. We know we're confident in your ability. But Father, we need to know what you want to do. And we need you to strengthen and help the areas of our life that struggle to believe. I pray that you would lift every one of us up today, God. I pray that you would bring life and salvation into our hearts, Father. That you would cause your people to rejoice. <clears throat> that, Lord, we would take advantage of this incredible hour that we live in to be such a great witness for you in the earth today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John 14. <clears throat> Very thankful, um, Carla and myself with... Ethan Hayden and Brianna, we were able to go to Houston this weekend and hear John Lennox, if you don't know who he is, one of the most profound uh, apologists in our world today, a mathematician, scientist out of Cambridge University, teaches at Oxford, about 80 years old, profound mind, able to take profound things and, and bring them into such a, a realm where I can understand it, which is a miracle of God. I just got to meet him and be with him, and some of the guys here in the church were uh, made those arrangements for us to go, and just thank you. It was a beautiful time. 
Um, <clears throat> in John 14, I wanted to read this to you in verse 1. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. I wanted to talk to you about this for a few moments this morning. There was a situation in the life of Jesus with one of his disciples. Jesus had told his disciples to get into a boat and go to the other side. And as they were uh, doing what Jesus told them to do, the winds and the waves stirred up against them. And Jesus, instead of coming with them in the boat, was walking on the water. And when they saw Jesus, they thought it to be a spirit and they were afraid. And so Jesus cried out to them and said, don't be afraid, it's me. Peter said, if it's you, then invite me to come on the water with you that I too could walk on the water. And Jesus told Peter to do it. And Peter got out of the boat and he's actually walking on water with Jesus, which is right. It's incredible. I mean, just to be able to have experienced that. But then Peter once again became aware of his surroundings. He became aware of the waves that he's walking on water and that there's a storm with these winds that are blowing. And Peter becoming distracted with that gets his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink. And through the, the calamities that are all around him and the storm that's brewing all around him, this man of, that I would think of as great faith walking on the water with Jesus is suddenly sinking because he is grasped with the reality of his surroundings. And Peter, maybe in that moment of unbelief, even though he's believing and I have this weakness of belief, he begins to sink. But he has the presence of mind to call out to Jesus. Jesus, save me. And Jesus reaches down and he picks him up and he puts them in the boat with him. And they're safely at the other side. And I think it's an incredible story. Because we are people who are passing through this world that is in a storm. Our world is in a turbulent, violent storm. And it's not the first, and it's only going to get worse. The Bible says that the days are going to increase and get worse. This is a bad day that we're living in. The nations are unstable. Um, Our nation is unstable. Men and women are stricken with fear. World leaders seem to be doing a number of things from conspiring together against the people to also not knowing what to do with what's going on in the world. Um, It seems as though we have people in the world that make decisions and laws that say that the things that are wrong, declaring them to be right. And the things that are right, they're declaring them to be wrong. It is a turbulent world. We're in war now in the world. This war, we pray, will not increase. We pray that it would be pacified. We pray that that it would settle again and come back tonight in our prayer meeting and pray with us about that because we want to see this happen in the world right now. But our world is at war, and it could go into a greater conflict. It could end up in perhaps a world conflict because the nations are that heated right now with instability and anger towards one another. And with the weakness of America right now, this is an opportune time for other nations to make a move if they intend to make a move at all. 
This is a great moment for them to do that. And they know that our, our country announces that in a lot of the Senate hearings that you, anybody can watch. <clears throat> and so we're walking with Jesus. We put our faith in him. We know that we're going to heaven. We're excited about going to heaven with Jesus. We want to walk in victory. But sometimes we become very aware of our surroundings. We become very aware of this world and we begin to sink. We begin to sink in the reality of what's going on. We, we lose sight of it. We begin to wonder, what's the hope of this? What's the reason to go on? And we just sink. And we have the presence of mind to cry out to Jesus. And praise the Lord, Jesus lifts us up. You know what I'm talking about because he's lifted you up many times. Many times in your life you said, you know what, I can't get through this. Jesus has brought me through things in my past, but this is it. I'm done. I can't go on any further. God said, I won't allow you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. Well, this is my limit, Jesus. I can't bear anymore, and you don't seem to be helping me. And all of a sudden, God does something, and he lifts us up, and he gives us the ability to go on. Praise God. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to talk about this with you. I wanted to talk about a great joy in a troubled world. And in John 14, Jesus tells us very clearly, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. And the word troubled there means roiled, R-O-I-L-E-D, roiled. And I didn't know what that meant until I looked it up and I had to read it. So I was reading this, and while I was reading it, it means to stir up or to agitate. It, it, it means to stir up in such a way that the sediment that is beneath begins to muddy the water. And then I knew exactly what this meant. It's like when I play golf and I lose a golf ball in the pond. You know, and so I got a ball grabber in my bag. And so when I lose a golf ball in the pond, I go and I walk alongside the pond and I say, well, there's my ball. And I stretch, I, I reach the, the grabber down into the pond and I hit mud. And as soon as I hit the mud, it's just muddy. It's, it's foggy with the stirring of the mud. I can't see the ball anymore. So you're just kind of like trying to feel around to feel the ball, you know, where, where it is. And Jesus is saying that that's kind of like what royal means. It means that the world is all around you in a state of conflict. It can easily be stirred up. Your heart can easily be stirred up. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. And Jesus is telling us there that God has given you the ability to watch over your heart. Proverbs says, guard your heart for out of it are the issues of life. And so we need to understand that I don't need to go around in life saying that this has troubled my heart or that has troubled my heart or they have troubled my heart or this causes my heart to fear. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. I don't have to let you trouble my heart. I don't have to let what's going on in the Middle East trouble my heart. I don't have to let a flailing economy in the United States of America trouble my heart. I don't have to stir up the sediment about all of that. And Jesus kind of says this to me. He said, you believe in God believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. And so Jesus is giving me the assurance that, Lee, there's going to be a lot in this world that you live in that has the potential of roiling your heart, of muddying your ability to see clearly, <clears throat> of causing you to understand that there are things there, but you don't know how to find them because you can't see them because you allowed your heart to be disturbed. <clears throat> I want you to understand that you believe in God and you need to believe that I've come from God. 
and I'm going back to God, and I'm going to my father's house, and I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you will be also. In other words, that this world is troubled. You don't need it to trouble you. You're going to a world that is not troubled. You're going to a world that is not disturbed. You're going to a world that is in perfect peace. You're going to a world that God says is paradise. He describes it as heaven and it is a wonderful place to be. And oftentimes, and I read this in church history, Fox's book of martyrs. I read it in the new Testament when the apostle Paul and Peter and John are writing that they're all encouraging us who are suffering, especially like in Hebrews chapter 10, when we're suffering, don't throw your confidence away. There's a great recompense of reward that's coming. We're going home. We're going to heaven. We're going to the father's house. Jesus has assured us of this. So don't royal your heart. Sometimes just let the golf ball go. All right. And, and just keep on going with what you've got to do. And sometimes we just have to let some of these things go. The storms that are blowing and the waves that are hitting against me and my reasoning that's saying it's not logical or reasonable or possible for a man to walk on the water and I begin to sink. It's not possible for us to make it through this. This world hates God. This world hates Christians. This world is going to persecute us more. It's going to be a more hostile place to live. This generation and this culture is getting further and further and further from God. It's a world that has gone after the antichrist mind. I'm going to tell you something that royals my heart. It royals my heart. And what I need to be able to understand for my heart to be settled is that Jesus Christ is God. And I get to believe in God. And I get to believe in Jesus Christ as God. And I get to believe in the eternal home that he has promised me. And God is going to get me through this life. And it is a beautiful assurance to my life of what God does. So I read it again in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And I love that. Verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. And in order for that to happen, you have to believe all this. You have to believe it. Now Jesus closes this thought of verse 1 at the end of this chapter. And I want you to notice it in verse 27. Jesus again talks about our heart and he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard how I said to you, I go away and come again to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go to the father and my father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. So he's prophesying his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. And he's prophesying the coming of his peace. He actually says to the people, my peace, I leave with you. So how are you going to believe in a troubled world? How are you going to believe in heaven? I would say this for a lot of people in in the church today. Heaven is pie in the sky. for, for, For a lot of Christians today, heaven is a hope, but it means absolutely nothing for you today. You hope that it is what it's going to be. You hope you get there when you die. 
But to the believers in the New Covenant pages of the Bible, heaven was a tangible reality because of the peace that Jesus Christ left with his disciples. Because the peace that Jesus leaves with his disciples is a peace that came from heaven into the disciples. The peace that Jesus is leaving with his people is the Holy Ghost. And he said, I'm prophesying this to you. I'm prophesying my death. I'm prophesying my resurrection. I'm prophesying my ascension. And I'm prophesying the coming of the Holy Ghost. So don't let your heart be troubled. Because I'm talking to you about a heaven that is absolutely real to me. But the Holy Ghost is going to come into your heart. And this Holy Ghost is going to deliver you from fear. And he's going to give you peace. And you're not going to be a timid person. And you're not going to be roiled by the things that are going on in the world and you're going to be different from everybody in it in the world you shall have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world and and so whatever it is that the world is going through we as christians go through it differently because we're living in a different faith and there's actually somebody that's living in our heart and that somebody is the holy spirit now i wish with all of my heart that i could get into your heart And I could do a work in your heart and let you understand this peace and let you understand this confidence and this boldness that the Holy Spirit will give to every one of us. I can't do that. But I beg you with all of my heart, I beg you with all of my ability, would you please open your heart up to God today? And would you allow the peace of God, the Holy Spirit to come and reign in your heart today? And the Holy Spirit will keep your heart at peace. And the Holy Spirit will keep you from being afraid. Because numbers of you are afraid this morning. Numbers of you are royal this morning. Numbers of you are cloudy in your ability to see and understand things. Because reality is telling you something totally different than what God in his word is telling you to believe. And there seems to be a contradiction in life. So if the peace of God that Jesus is offering us is the Holy Spirit, my peace, I leave with you. And he doesn't give this the way the world gives it. He is the gift of grace. You do not earn the Holy Spirit. You do not beg for the Holy Spirit. I have said this so many times. I believe it with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit filling, the Holy Spirit baptism is absolutely the easiest thing that you could ever receive in your life as a believer. Religion has made this so difficult to receive. The lack of faith has made him so difficult to receive. And maybe that's the word, Tanya. I believe, but help my unbelief. There might be people here that believe in a baptism in the Holy Spirit, but you have not received yet. And you feel like it's this mountain that you've got to climb. And that's the reason you haven't received him. He's the gift of grace. He's not the gift of your works. You don't earn him. You don't get him through merit. You don't get him by degrees and intellectualism. You get him because you're desperate for God. I want the Holy Spirit because I want Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit because I want to know Jesus. I want to love Jesus more. I want to understand the love of God more in my life. And I believe when the passion is just that simple, that I'm just this little child telling God, I can't make it through this world without the Holy Ghost, it's done. I believe he gives the Holy Spirit to me. I believe he fills me with the Holy Spirit. I believe being filled with the Holy Spirit is one of the easiest things that we could ever do as Christians. 
But the fact of the matter is, it's amazing how many of us want to be biblical Christians, but we won't be. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, as I have repeated and I will to the day I die, I will tell you that if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not some mysterious exercise. You don't have to go on some two-week retreat. You don't have to go on a two-day fast. You don't have to go hibernate in some kind of Tibetan uh, mountain or hut or whatever it might be. You don't have to go to a silent retreat. All you have to do is open up Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, don't be drunk with, with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Because sometimes you're not doing it in your heart yet. You're singing with your mouth. You're singing with your intellect. You keep on, you keep on, you keep on talking to yourself about God, riding in your car. God, you are great. God, there's nobody like you. God, you are merciful. God, there you are splendid. God, there's, you're, you're my God. You're my shepherd. You're my prince of peace. You're my refuge that I run to. And you just start singing to God, Jesus. Jesus, I love you. And you're just singing in your car and all of a sudden it all moves from your head to your heart and your heart is happy and the wells are opened up and you're praising God and God has filled you with the Holy Ghost. And oftentimes you have to pull off on the side of the road because the tears are streaming down. God is so real. There's this encounter now that God is having with you and you are having with God. But Christians don't do that. We don't do it. But you can And so let not your heart be royal. Let not your heart be troubled. Receive the peace of God, the Holy Ghost, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And you don't have to let your heart be troubled anymore. Your heart can be at peace now. Glorious peace. Glorify God. Romans chapter 1 says this that I've talked to, and I'm just going to quote it. But Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says, When they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, and neither were they thankful And it says that they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. It's kind of like me reaching for the golf ball with my ball grabber. And I, instead of picking up the ball, I hit the mud and I can't see my heart becomes dark and my eyes became dark. I couldn't see the golf ball anymore. And I go through my life and I'm not glorifying God and I'm not thanking God. I was with some, some people this week or last week, and, and we were just talking, talking about life and talking about work. And, you know, sometimes you, not every day is something you really enjoy doing. And I said, it's true. You know what we need to do, though? Every time we get in our cars and we're driving to work or wherever we're going, we just need to begin to list off all the things we're thankful for. God, I'm thankful that I have a job. I'm thankful that I have a job that's paying my bills. Lord, I thank you that I have a family that's with me. I thank you that I have a church, God, that I get to serve you in, that I get to minister in. I thank you that I have people around my life that love me. And all of a sudden, instead of like, man, I got this little splinter in my finger. Good night. You know, and and all it, man. And, and, and I'm so obsessed with this finger and I got to get to work because I got I got to look my whole body's fine. But I got this little splinter in my finger and I man, this is just the only thing I think about, you know, is just I got to get this splinter out of my finger. That's what it is when we're negative. We just think about the the few things that we don't like about our jobs. We think about the few things we don't like about our life. We we begin to imagine, oh, if I had this and I had that, if just these two things happened for me, I'd be the happiest person on the world. No, you're not. Because there's nothing in life that's going to be your contentment than Jesus Christ. 
So God, I got a splinter in my finger and I hate it, Lord, and I need to get it out. But thank you, God, that I feel good. My kidneys don't hurt. My heart seems to be working well. I can see God and, and, and I'm breathing. And God, I just thank you for the health that you've given me. And you know, this splinter's good. We're going we're gonna to get that out. It's no problem. We're going to get through that. But when we're negative and all we do is see this thing that's the problem in our life, guys, be thankful. Go through life being thankful. David said in Psalms 103, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name and remember all of his benefits. And then David starts listing them. He heals all my diseases. He forgives me of all my sins. He delivers me. He fights for me. He cares for me. He hears me when I pray. He talks to me. And all of a sudden, David's heart is down. And David would even say this sometimes because he knows what it's like to have a splinter in his finger. And maybe David's riding his chariot to work, you know, and he says like, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Why are you so down? What in the world are you doing so down and so depressed? He's facing reality. I am down. My soul is downcast, but wait a minute. The lifting up of my soul is not by me. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God, who is the lifter of your countenance. I don't have to be like this. But Paul said in Romans chapter 1, when those of you guys that know God and you don't glorify God and give thanks to God, he says, your minds become vain and your hearts become darkened. You have a royal heart and now it's troubled when it didn't have to be. And that's another thing. Learn to praise God all the time. When you get to heaven, you're going to praise God all the time. It's not the only thing you're going to do, but it's going to be something you do all the time. You're going to be praising God. You're going to be praising the lamb. You're going to be walking by the throne. Oh, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Jesus is going to send you on a mission in his kingdom to go do something in this city or this state. And you're just going to be going, worthy is the lamb. Glory to God. I'm on a mission for Jesus in the earth, in that eternal kingdom. It's just going to be glorious as we're praising. So do it on earth. Do it. You're supposed to be different. This is the attractiveness of our witness. It's not just simply the fact, can I tell you about Jesus and I'm the most depressed person in the world? Don't you want what I have? No, I don't think so. You know, but, but if there's joy in your life and and if there's, if there's value in your life and and if there's victory in your life and if there's faith in your life and, and everyone else is depressed and everyone else is scared and environmentalists are saying the world's ending in eight years, why are you not afraid, Christian? Well, Now they're asking, I want to know. I mean, you've really got something. You've really got it. Peter said, live in such a way that people come up to you and ask you, tell me about this hope that you've got. When was the last time somebody did that to you? Hey, tell me about this hope that you've got in your life. I've been watching you. You live in the same world I live in, but you don't live in it like I do. So what's the hope that's going on in your life? So if Jesus told us to keep our hearts from trouble... What does the devil want to do? He wants to trouble your heart. He wants to trouble your life. He wants to give you very real things to make it trouble. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. While you're turning there, I wanted to read this scripture to you in Romans 15, 13. It says, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That you may abound in hope 
through the power of the Holy Ghost. Beloved, if you're going to have a peaceful heart, you're not going to do it without the Holy Spirit. You have to believe God. I want to read something to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It should be something that we're all praying to be anointed for. It should be the desire of ministry. And he says this in verse 19. Or or even verse 18. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now, he which establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. That's what I've been telling you all day. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet to Corinth. Not for that we, would, that we have dominion over your faith, but we are helpers of your joy. For by faith you stand. I determined this within myself that I would not come to you in heaviness, which is grief and sorrow. For if I make you sorry, who is he that makes me glad? Those of you that I made sorry? I wrote this same to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. You should pray for that ministry. God, give me a ministry. Give me an anointing that helps other people be joyful. Give me a ministry that helps the joy of other believers. Because Paul tacks on to this in verse 24 of chapter 1, by faith you stand. And then he said in Romans 15, 13, he said that you would have joy and peace in believing. So there is a relationship between joy and faith. And when when your joy is strong, your faith is strong. Just look back in your life. You know it to be true. And so Paul says, I want to help your joy. He goes into chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians and he says this in verse 6. He has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. He has made us able ministers of the New Testament. And that's why I say this should be our desire and our prayer. God, make me a minister of the New Covenant. Make me a minister of the Spirit that brings life and not death. Because there's joy in life. There's gladness in life. And there's faith in life. And this is what we should strive to be going around doing. The woman that encountered Jesus at the well in Samaria... Do you think she went back to the men in the town with depression? Do you think she went back to the men? Hey, come meet a man that rejected me. Come meet a man that condemned me. Come meet a man that knew everything about me and said, there is absolutely no way you could ever go to heaven. No, she said, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. He has to be the son of God. And the whole town came. Because of her testimony. 
And there was great joy in that whole village of Samaria. So let's go through a few scriptures together, if you will. I'm going to be in Acts chapter 2. And I, and I want us to see just the characteristic of a church that's making the difference in the world. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 46, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So here they are, this, this new group of believers in Jesus, and they're going about the city of Jerusalem. They, they love each other, so they're getting together every day. They're having fellowship together. They're going from house to house. They're eating their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Politics has not entered the church yet. Denominationalism has not entered the church yet. Religionism has not entered the church yet. It's just a group of people so grateful that Jesus is alive and they have been forgiven of their sins. And the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And they're praising God. They have favor with the people. And the Lord every day was saving people as a result of their testimony of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 3, just the next chapter, in verse 9, it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. Verse 4 of chapter 4. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed... And the number of the men was about 5,000. Here's a happy moment. This is a glad moment. This is a joyful day. Here is a man who has been crippled all of his life, sitting at the temple begging. On this particular day, disciples show up who have Jesus. They don't have money, but you don't need money to make people happy. You need Jesus. And they told the lame man, we don't have what you're asking for, but we have what you need. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he rose up and he's dancing. He's leaping. He's jumping. He is praising God. What happened? Thousands Thousands of people gathered around this scene. Do you think they would have gathered around a scene of agony? A scene of depression? A scene of despair? They gathered around a scene of a man that they knew was crippled that's now healed. And he's given God the glory and he's jumping up and down and dancing and praising God. And thousands of people get around. Peter takes the occasion to preach the word of God to them. And 5,000 men are saved, not because the man's healed, but because of the word of God. Joy was brought into that city. So what does the devil do? He wants to destroy the joy. He wants to destroy the gladness. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us in verse 5, we read this, I think, last week. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. 
For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I want a ministry like that. I want an anointing. It maybe doesn't give the people what they want, but it gives them what they need. Brings Jesus into their life and gives them life. In Acts chapter 13, another passage, verse 48, it tells us this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. So the Gentiles were glad and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Paul says, you know what, to the Jews, if you, if you um, determine or judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, then that's your business and I'm going to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles didn't know, oh, good night, Paul. He's so difficult. He's so harsh. He's so condemning. Why couldn't we get John, this apostle of love or something? No, they're glad. Because all of the apostles were filled with Jesus. They were all ministers of the new covenant. They helped everyone's joy and everyone's faith. And they were glad And it was published throughout all of the region. And it says in verse 15 or 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. How beautiful. But Satan attacks it. Chapter 16, Satan attacks it. As he always does, he uses the religious to attack it. Because the religious don't want you to have fun. And the religious don't want you to be happy. And the religious don't want you to be glad. And the religious don't want you to have joy. Misery loves company. In verse 22 of Acts 16, the multitudes rose up together against them. And the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison. Charging the jailer to keep them safely. In other words, make sure they don't escape. Who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. He chained them to the wall so they wouldn't escape. And at midnight, Paul and Silas, chained to the wall, just began to complain. Why us? Here we are serving you and this is what happens to us? Oh God, we're out there preaching the gospel and you have all the power in heaven and in earth and you allow this to happen? It's not what they did. You know what they did? They didn't let their hearts get roiled. They didn't allow the splinter to make them negative. They continued to believe. They believed in the hope of eternal life. They received the Spirit's power in their life. They were receiving the fullness of the Holy Ghost, the peace of God in their life that would keep their hearts. It's exactly what they did. Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And it goes on and it tells us in 
verse 52, or I'm sorry, not verse 52, verse 30. And this jailer brought them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved in your house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And they got saved. Their family got saved. Why? Because two men, instead of becoming negative and bitter, instead of finding reasons to not praise God, shackled to a prison wall, beat because they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray and we're going to praise God. And everybody heard them and God answered them. And God shook the prison. And now you've got the jailer himself saying, tell me how to be saved. This was Peter's verse. Here's somebody asking, Paul, tell me about the hope that you have. Tell me about this in your life. In Acts chapter 4, verse 17. I'm just going to read one more scripture after this. In Acts 4, 17. After these 5,000 men get saved... And this man is healed, and there's this stirring within the city. The religious people can't take this. So they didn't want this to spread any further in verse 17. So they straightly threatened them that they speak from now on to no man in the name of Jesus. And they called them, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John say that whether it's right in the sight of God to hearken to you more than God, you judge it, but we can only speak what we've seen and heard. So they leave that place of torture and whippings, and they go to a prayer meeting, and they want to see more, and they want to hear more, because they want to talk more about Jesus And in verse 23, it says they go to a prayer meeting and they begin to pray. And what do they pray? They pray for God to give them the Holy Ghost. They pray for God to give them boldness so that they wouldn't have fear. They're praying that their hearts wouldn't be roiled because they're living in a turbulent world that would make anybody afraid. And they know that the solution to a troubled heart is that they believe in God and they have the power of the Holy Spirit. And bless God, the Holy Spirit came and he shook the building and he filled them with his spirit. And they went out and they did more miracles for God. Because they were praising God. They were rejoicing and they were happy in the Lord. All of these beautiful things that were taking place. So I want to conclude, if you will, with Psalm 126. And I would like every one of you to read this with me. Our world needs Jesus. But they need to see him as much as they hear about him. This is a beautiful psalm. And I just want you to read it with me. Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion... We were like them that dream. God turned our captivity. Perhaps this morning. God may turn some of you from a place of captivity. Maybe a limited faith. Maybe you don't have a joyful life. Maybe you don't have gladness in the Lord. 
And God wants to take you out of that captivity of oppression. Because when God takes you out of your captivity, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Isn't that beautiful? When God took me out of the bonds of my affliction, when God opened up my prison door, which was the anointing of Jesus in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set at liberty those that are captives. My, my lips were filled with laughter and my tongue with singing. I, I, I just would imagine that's a happy person. Would you? That's a happy person. They're joyful. They're not depressed like a lot of people in church. Now, maybe they were sober and somber when they were suffering from a captivity. But God delivered them from it. And when their mouth was filled with laughter and their tongue was filled with singing, then the heathen said things. And you know what the heathen said? The Lord has done great things for them. Did the heathen say this while they were captives? No. Did the heathens say this when they were not happy? No. Did the heathens say this about them when they were not singing because life was too hard? No. The heathens started to recognize how great their God is and the great things God has done for them when they began to laugh and sing. They were rejoicing in the Lord. Their captivity was over and they were set free. The Lord, verse 3, has done great things for us. Whereof we were glad. So the heathens are saying things like, the Lord has done great things for them. And they are responding back, the Lord has done great things for us. He really has. And they were the ones, the heathens, that were asking about it. And so this should be the prayer people. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weeps bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I think about that. I, I, I think about, there, listen to me. This is not a message that's geared to be insensitive to suffering. And we're all familiar with suffering. But Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. We go through seasons of grief. There, there, there are seasons in your life where you cry. But while you're crying, sow your seeds. Just because you're in a hard place, a dark place, a painful place, a place that makes you cry, don't sit back and do nothing. Sow your seeds. Stay true to the faith. Because so many of us have been inspired and impressed with Evan and Wendy. I immediately think of them. I immediately think of tragedies they've even faced this year. 
loss of a child. And the very next day, they're standing in this altar with their hands lifted and praising God and streams of tears flowing down Wendy's face. And I even asked, how do you do it? And she said, people want to love me. I don't want to hide from them. And I need them. And they need me. And all I could see is she's sowing seeds. In a season where everything and everyone in life would say, stay home. You don't need to do that right now. You just need some me time. No, I need some seed time. Because one day the tears are going to stop. And I'm going to want a blessing from the Lord. But the pain was too great for me to stay in faith and sow the seeds. And now I'm going to blame God for a crop failure of seeds I didn't even sow. No. I believe God. I believe this is, going to, this is going to end. I believe this season is going to end. I believe this captivity is going to end. I believe this season of weeping will come to an end. And I will laugh and I will rejoice and I will be glad in God. And I will have a testimony and I'll be able to tell people even more of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And yes, it hurts. And yes, it's painful. And yes, I want to stay home and I want to shut off all the lights and sit in a dark room and cry like there's no tomorrow. But I'm going to go and sow seeds and I'm going to walk in faith and I'm going to believe God and I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm I'm going to give thanks to God and I'm going to glorify my God and I'm going to praise God and I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit in my heart so that he can keep my heart at peace and I won't get my heart all cloudy so I can't see God anymore and I don't know what's going on anymore and all I see is this problematic life. No, that's not for me. I've watched too many people get taken out that way. So I'm going to have great joy in a troubled world because I believe in God. And I believe in Jesus. And I believe that he's gone to prepare a place for me. And the Holy Spirit convinces me how real that is. And I can't wait. So I keep on walking and running. I want you to stand with me if you will. Just, if you will, just listen to me for a moment. If the Bible is true and redemption is half as wonderful as we preach, every house of redeemed men should be an atmosphere of hope and love, unity, faith, laughter, singing, people singing in prison. In the New Testament, in some of the passages that I read and in Psalm 127, The revelation of Jesus is seen in a church filled with gladness that their Lord is the God. That's the revelation of Jesus. People glad that their Lord is God. Their hearts are rejoicing and singing to the Lord. They are not declaring the glory of Jesus by their agony, misery, and turmoil. Rather, they are declaring the glory of Jesus by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I know there are many who want us to live in tears and sorrow, but their hearts are royal. Pure in heart, see God, and they believe God. 
And I believe that the revival that we long for is delayed because so many can't seem to get out of a spirit of remorse and accept the spirit of joy and gladness. Revival is held back not because of a lack of repentance, but the lack of joyful freedom and mercy and love that God gives to a people who are forgiven. In the book of Acts, the believers were so happy in Jesus that they continued. Not with deep repentance and sorrow, but with praise and gladness and favor. And it's as though the words of Jesus have been changed. That all the men will know you're my disciples by your agony, your constant tears, your wailing over your shortcomings. Instead of all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another the joyful sound of a joyful people who worship a God of hope a joyful God the joyful God I believe when the Lord is among his people there ought to be a shout among the people as though the king is in the midst of them and yes we cry Yes, we need to repent. But is there not to be fruit from the sowing? Is it wrong to enjoy the joy when the King has forgiven and delivered and guaranteed freedom? I am well within the will of God in the Bible's instruction when I declare to the redeemed, Rejoice in your God. Strength and gladness are in His place. God turns our mourning into dancing. God removes our sackcloth and robes you with gladness. He does this so your countenance will shine with praise to your God. Believers are known for their joyful noise, not their mournful noises. We serve God with gladness. We are to come before Him with singing, not sighing. We are His people and should come into His presence with thanksgiving and praise, blessing His name. God's redeemed people should be the ones seeking the Lord with singing and everlasting joy is their atmosphere sorrow and mourning to flee for it is God who comforts us Isaiah 51 hallelujah we bless you Jesus we bless you Jesus we magnify you Jesus Father we pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon our life to be ministers of the new covenant to be ministers of the Spirit that brings life. Oh God, that your people would be the people easily distinguished and marked by their quality of love, their joyful demeanors, their peaceful hearts in a world that is so disturbed and troubled. Oh God, anoint us. How many of you would just draw near this morning and just come before the Lord and rejoice? say, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for your Holy Spirit. I'm desperate for you to use me, God, to help the joy of other people. Help me to help their faith.